This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. The most memorable interviews and listener calls from the week that was on Fight Back with Libby Snymer. Welcome to the best of Fight Back with Jane Brown. Good afternoon. Welcome to the Saturday edition of the Best of Fight Back from the week that was. Monday began with a disturbing development on the long-term care file. We learned from a Ford PC government review that the Canadian Armed Forces has dismissed reports from its own staff members who claimed residents had died of dehydration at Downsview Long-Term Care Center and Hawthorne Place Care Center during the first wave of the pandemic. Instead, the military suggests these reports are unsubstantiated and come from an emotionally charged witness statement. Our Zoomer squad weighed in on this curious development. John Wright is executive vice president of Maru Public Opinion. Peter Mugrich is senior editor at Zoomer magazine. And Bill Van Gorder is chief operating officer and chief policy officer at CARP, a new vision of aging. We know that residents uh, weren't being given the care and attention they uh, required. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's almost a crime that we could treat our frail at-risk residents that way. So how how could such uh, reports, uh, I think the doctor called them emotional uh, reports, be, be ignored? It's just another indication of the lack of follow-up on any regulations or or. Uh, Standards, neither the government nor uh, the companies nor now apparently the military are willing to actually uh, do something other than wring their hands and say, what's that terrible? Peter, I mean, is this uh, sort of a way for the government to let these places off the hook to maybe give them more licenses? It certainly it certainly seems that way. I, I find the whole thing very curious, like um the fact that they came out and said, um, like, sort of called these allegations un- unsubstantiated and emotionally charged, uh, you know, I, I, they're trying, obviously, to get in front of something here. And um, and uh, I, I'd really like to know the motivation behind this. Uh, it, it, it sort of suggests to me, Libby, as you say, that, um, you know, someone is... is uh, shielding these two companies, um, you know, did they die? I mean, there's no proof that they died of malnutrition, but could this proof be raised? Could it be investigated? Like, the whole thing just seems very curious, and uh, really, it, it sort of suggests that there should be a deeper investigation just, just by the nature of this report. They didn't have people to feed the residents, so it's not documented. And in a lot of places, my understanding was that the management was nowhere near the nursing homes. So, John Wright, what do you make of this? I'm not sure what to make of it. I don't know what's true. I don't know what isn't. I don't know whether or not, in fact, the military has excised this because, in fact, it deserved to be excised. I don't know what the government has to say about it or the homes. And that's the biggest issue that we have here, and that is we have thousands of people who at the beginning of this pandemic lost their lives. And that 
we've had some reports uh, given in the legislature uh, from, you know, a committee about certain things. But clearly, you know, we need we need a, a more fulsome report. We need some clarity. We need some transparency in this to understand exactly what happened. So I'm not sure whether the military, I mean, to suggest that the military is cutting something out because they've received pressure from someplace, I don't buy that in the same way that I don't buy that, you know, they, they haven't. Uh, done something because I don't know, but but I would suggest that right now this file has a lot of confusion around it. It's got a lot of things that need to be followed up and looked at, and I don't think there's been a proper process for that yet. But the fact that the the file itself, the entire thing, is shrouded in mystery with with a lot of deaths, with concerns about the propriety of being able to find out what the information is. I think this thing's got legs. I think it's got life. I think it, it'll take reporters and others to dig into it. I don't think it's over uh, uh, by any means, but it, it speaks to the issue. We can't trust what we hear. And this just adds fuel to the fire that unless we get some kind of transparent uh, uh, review of the whole circumstance, then we're going to you know, just be uh, launching out on this sort of stuff, and it's going to hurt uh, the truth, not just for the military, but for everybody else involved. John Wright, Executive Vice President of Maru Public Opinion, Peter Mugrich, Senior Editor at Zoomer Magazine, and Bill Van Gorder, Chief Operating Officer and Chief Policy Officer at CARP, A New Vision of Aging. You're listening to the best of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. I'm Jane Brown. Ahead of the coming holiday spending season, it might be a good time to take a look at the benefits associated with your credit cards. Are you getting the best deal for you in terms of points or cashback rewards? And what about the insurance included with some credit cards? Libby asked these questions of two expert panelists, Barry Choi, a personal finance and travel expert of money we have, and consumer advocate Ellen Roseman. It can be a big nuisance to have to switch everything over, especially if you're paying regular bills with your credit cards, because uh, as as we often find, even when our credit card is updated with a new uh, expiry date and a new um, CVV number, uh, sometimes you forget because you might be paying annual amounts. Uh, so um, be really sure that you want to switch before you do it. But the nice thing is in Canada, there are so many great blogs that help you compare in a way that's really scientific because there are many, many credit cards on the market, probably two or 300 at least uh, in Canada, and all with different advantages for different kinds of people. You know, like some people want the maximum amount of money in cashback rewards, especially during the pandemic, where most of your money is going for groceries and food deliveries. You want more money back on that. Many people do it for travel, especially those longer trips. Some people do it for the insurance that you were talking about. In terms of travel insurance, I think people over 65 generally don't get covered, you know, for um uh, uh, various illnesses that they might have while they travel on credit cards, most credit cards anyway. But there's other kinds of insurance, like the purchase insurance, where if something is stolen or breaks during the first year, um, you can you can double the warranty that you get from the manufacturer. That's a very good benefit. Uh, so if you do your research, you can get a lot of information. So it's, it's probably good once a year to at least go through some of these leading credit card uh, sites like Barry's Money We Have, 
and just see what cards they're recommending and figure out if that's a card that you might switch to and do better than what you're doing right now. Okay, Barry, you have one of those sites, one of those blogs. So what kind of work, I mean, it sounds like a lot of work for you to do it, but what do you say people should know? You know, Alan's kind of like nailed so many good points. You know, you got to worry about the annual fees, switching your payment. Uh, There's so many different things. But, you know, I'm one of those people who, if I see a good offer, I'm going to take it no matter what. And there's so much competition. Like Alan was saying, there's 200, 300 credit cards available at any given time. Everyone looking or rather the credit card providers, they want your business. So, So the generous offers are out there. So I think it always makes sense to shop around. It does make sense to look at your credit cards once a year to decide if the current credit cards you have are still a good fit or if there's something better because like what features are offered and what benefits are included change practically every year. So what you may have thought that you didn't get last year might be available with another card now. Ellen, just to sum up, what would you leave us with on this? If you've had the same credit card forever and ever and you're just sitting around thinking, I can't be bothered switching, it's too much work, get over it, right? (laughs) Start figuring out if there is a better credit card for you. And maybe you can keep the old one for a while and get a new one too. You know, as long as your income's okay, you'll get approved for both. So uh, don't worry about it, but just get off your backside and start looking because there is a wealth of great cards out there. Oh, I have another quick question. So I know that I have a couple of credit cards that I haven't used for ages, but I'm sure they're still on my credit rating or whatever. How do you get rid of them? Well, sometimes I've heard from consumers when they call the company to cancel, they're immediately offered a much lower rate, like (laughs) half what they were paying before. So do that and see what happens. Just call and say, get, get rid of this? If you already have another credit card, you're still building your credit history. Sure, your oldest credit card counts a little bit, but if you've been using cards for decades, I wouldn't be concerned about it. Just cancel the card. You don't need it. Okay. And Barry, what's your favorite card? Uh, you know, I already talked about the Cobalt, but one thing to quickly add to Ellen is uh, you don't have to switch your credit card. You can always just apply for another one. If you see a good offer, go for it. And then when it's about to be due for the annual fee again, cancel it. Barry Choi, a personal finance and travel expert of Money We Have, and consumer advocate Ellen Roseman. You're listening to the best of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. I'm Jane Brown. Coming up after the break, Justin Trudeau ushers in a new defense minister and a new foreign affairs minister, both of them women. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Good isn't good enough. Make way for the best of Fight Back with Jane Brown on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. On Tuesday, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau unveiled his 38-member cabinet to begin his third term, even though Parliament won't be back until November 22nd. The key moves include Anita Anand, the former procurement minister, replacing Harjit Sajjan in defense. Mark Garneau is out of cabinet, and word is he will be posted as an ambassador in the near future. Melanie Jolie becomes the fifth foreign minister under Justin Trudeau. Patty Haidu, whose performance in health was widely panned, gets Indigenous services and Northern Ontario economic development. Jean-Yves Duclos, former Treasury Board president, is now in the health portfolio. Carolyn Bennett 
leaves Crown Indigenous Relations also in the wake of a lot of criticism and gets the junior portion of the newly split health portfolio. Environmental activist Stephen Gilbo takes over in environment, and former broadcaster Marcy Ian is welcomed into Cabinet as Minister for Women, Gender Equality, and Youth. As well, he for the Zoomer demo, Brampton West MP Kamal Kara becomes Minister for Seniors. Fightback's Tuesday strategy panelists weighed in on the appointments soon after they were announced. Karen Stintz is CEO of Variety Village. John Capobianco, Senior Vice President and Senior Partner, Fleischman Hillard High Road. And Charles Souza is the former Liberal Ontario Finance Minister. I, I think it's pretty exciting. I, I know there's a lot of new faces. Um, I'm excited about some colleagues of mine that have been appointed into cabinet that were there with me previously. And, I, you know, and, and, and the Prime Minister wants to. Uh, shake it up a little bit, provide some new faces. Uh, he, he has retained some of his most trusted individuals like Dominic LeBlanc and Freeland. And um, Foreign Affairs, I think, is a critical job. And Melanie Jolie, that's a huge promotion for her. And it's critical for us to have some degree of stability in that role, especially with uh, what's happening around the world. And Wait, his wait a minute, stability. She, she is the fifth his yeah, fifth foreign affairs minister and Mark Garneau, the word on him was uh, it's not that he was doing a bad job. It's just that he sometimes pushed back against uh, what the PMO was trying to make him do. Uh, he'll be a, a big loss. There's some institutional memory with Mark Garneau, and uh, he's, a, and I, by all accounts, he's going to remain in some form, be it in a diplomatic post. But um, you're absolutely right. I, I think it's, uh, it's shameful that we had so many changes in foreign affairs. We need some stability there. Okay, uh, John Capobianco, uh, what do you think? You know, a, a couple of notes, and, and, and one is to say that, you know, that the major portfolios and the ones that we widely expected that were going to be shuffled out or around, namely Harjit Sajjan in, in defense, I think that happened, and that's fairly good news. So now that we've got uh, somebody in there that is new and fresh and is going to be able to take a look at it, not least of which, of course, a woman uh, in that role, I think is going to be important. And Anita... And then, as you said, you know, I think she had a really uh, sort of slow start to her ministry procurement. I think that we all remember, some of us do, the, the time we got our vaccines, it was far later than the U.S. and other jurisdictions. But I do think that Anita, since then, uh, certainly worked hard to uh, to promote herself and to do what she had to do to get that portfolio back in check and, and is widely seen as fairly competent. So hopefully that, that, that'll translate into that department because it needs it. Yeah, I mean, that's a, that is a huge promotion for her. Uh, the other thing I want to get to, Karen, is health. Now, health is a provincial responsibility, except uh, the federal government has a lot of uh, money involved, and people are calling for national standards, long-term care. The outgoing health minister, Patty Hydu, I mean, widely considered to have really underperformed. And uh, Jean-Yves Duclos, the, who was in Treasury Board, uh, he's getting put in there. Uh, is that a hopeful thing for you? Also, the whole portfolio has been split. Yeah, I, I think it is hopeful. And I think uh, to the points that were raised uh, you know, by John, that there were certain things that had to be done. And one of them was a shift in the, in the Ministry of Health. And I think splitting it into two, you know, I don't know if that was just a concession to Carolyn Bennett or not. But, you know, given that it is a provincial responsibility, it doesn't seem to necessitate the splitting of that portfolio. And, you know, really what it's about, I mean, the federal government, of course, has an interest in 
outcomes and because they fund the outcomes. But I think the call for national standards is, is going to be a call that's not answered because many provinces don't want, I mean, namely Quebec, they don't want national standards. And uh, even Ontario is is resistant to that sort of thing. So I don't think it's, um, you know, as, as, as COVID retreats, uh, hopefully it will continue to retreat. I think that that portfolio will become less and less material in people's lives. And, you know, and I think that, you know, really there are only two ministers that matter, the prime minister and the finance minister, and everybody else is just going to toe the line that comes from the PMO's office. So it's really, um, you know, I don't think that important who's in what post other than some changes did need to get made. Karen Stintz, CEO of Variety Village, John Capobianco, Senior Vice President and Senior Partner, Fleischman Hillard High Road, and Charles Souza, a former Liberal Ontario Finance Minister. Fight Back's Tuesday Strategy Panel. This is Zoomer Radio's Best of Fight Back. I'm Jane Brown. It's being called Canada's real-life version of the wildly successful drama Succession, the goings-on at one of the largest, most powerful corporations in the country, Rogers Communications, which is still controlled by the Rogers family. It started when the CEO found out about a plot to oust him through a butt-dialed call. It was initiated by company chairman Edward Rogers. His mother and sisters opposed the move and dumped him as chairman. But Edward controls a voting trust, which ultimately controls the company. And so he dumped five directors and appointed new ones who reappointed him as chairman. His mother and sisters say that's not legal. And their feud has exploded into a volley of nasty, very public tweets. Oh, and there's one more detail. All of this comes as Rogers is trying to get approval for a huge $38 billion merger with Shaw Communications. To discuss this high-profile family feud, Libby was joined on Tuesday by Dr. Richard Powers, Associate Professor of the University of Toronto's Rotman School of Management, and Dr. Richard LeBlanc, Professor of Governance, Law, and Ethics at York University. This is succession Canadian style. Uh, imagine if, if Logan had passed away and gave all of the shares to Kendall. That's exactly what uh, the situation at Rogers is, is we have one son who has got all the authority. He's got 97% of the votes. Uh, the other uh, family members don't have any. And uh, he is intending on using them to remove the five directors. So what we have now is two boards that claim they are legitimate, which is not possible. Only one is legitimate. And it looks as though uh, the B.C. Supreme Court uh, will uh, opine on which one is, is valid and which one is not valid. Three of the people on that voting trust are siding with Edward. But if the others uh, side against him, they could get Edward out, correct? That's correct. This advisory board, Libby, holds all of the power. That is, it's it, the power in our in RCI is really not in RCI. It's in this voting trust. So when you couple the voting trust with dual class shares, what you essentially have, in my view, is one person controlling a twenty three billion dollar company, and that's not good governance is to have one person in charge. But that was the wish of of the founder, Ted Rogers. I mean, many entrepreneurs they don't like committees. They don't 
like dilution of, of, of control. They want one person in charge. Uh, but you've got to be careful when you put one person in charge because there's no uh, incentive to compromise with others. And I think that that's what's uh, driving uh, much of the behavior here is that one person has all of the marbles. I'd like to bring in Dr. Richard Powers, Associate Professor at the University of Toronto's Rotman School of Management. Under the way the company is now constituted, it looks like Edward might win, uh, but he's asked to take this to the B.C. Supreme Court. Do you think that's where it will be decided? I think that's the decision on who the board is. Right now, it's still confusing for everyone. I think uh, my opinion changed just in the last 24 hours when I heard, first I heard Edward's arguments or his lawyer's arguments, but then I also heard um, Melinda, the daughter's, his sister's arguments from her lawyer, and he suggests that it would be unconscionable not to have a, a shareholders meeting. And, you know, that's a legal term that's used very rarely, though, in a situation like this. I'm not sure it has the, the legal weight that perhaps Edward's argument has. So it'll be interesting to see what the court decides. Uh-huh. And uh, do you think there is any possibility at all of some kind of compromise? The mayor of Toronto says that's what he's there to do, when in fact, he has a vote on this trust, which could uh, decide to bolster Edward or to get rid of him. Well, that's the interesting part. We, we still don't know all the details of the trust. That's been anything but transparent. And, and that's the way these things work. That's why the family sets up a trust in the first place, to keep things private. What is uh, quite interesting, as you pointed out previously, is that this is being aired in the public. And we, we seem to know everything that's going on except what will happen. Do we know, has this family feud been brewing for a long time? Are they bristling that he has all the control? Um, or is it other stuff from their childhood? I mean, who knows? Well, I think that's, yeah, we don't know any of that stuff. And, you know, I think the Shaw family put it uh, put it as well as they could. This is a family matter, and uh, they weren't going to comment out of respect for the Rogers family. Uh, somebody in the Rogers family is leaking a lot of this information, or somebody close to the Rogers family, and it's intriguing that we get to see it, but it, it certainly doesn't help the reputation of family or the business. What would you like to leave us with? Well, I think this is, uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens in the court. Uh, I doubt that there's going to be a settlement only because both sides seem entrenched in their own positions. And at this point, I'd have to say the upper hand probably goes to Edward. Dr. Richard Powers, Associate Professor of the University of Toronto's Rotman School of Management, and Dr. Richard LeBlanc, Professor of Governance, Law, and Ethics at York University. This is Zoomer Radio's Best of Fight Back. I'm Jane Brown. Still to come, what you had to say about the week that was and the Fight Back Knockout Call of the Week. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Zoomer Radio, pulling no punches with the best of Fight Back with Jane Brown. Fight Back with Libby Snymer has the most informed guests on the week's hot topics. And we also rely on you for your valued opinions. We've gone through the audio. Here are some of the best calls of the past week. Jody in Toronto phoned to offer her view of this week's federal cabinet appointments. I don't think the average Canadian really cares who's appointed to this cabinet or any other cabinet. We all know that these people do not specialize in any way in the roles that they're put in. We spend billions upon billions of dollars hiring 
specialists who do specialize in these things to advise them. We don't really care who's in there. Government just kind of reacts to whatever is on the news, whatever, you know, okay, there's a lot of addiction, let's do that, let's do this. But as far as who's in there, we really don't care. Janice and Midland called to share a personal experience about loosened restrictions. The local YMCA opened up and I joined and looked at the schedule and decided I would go to an Aquafit class. Good. And saw that they would accept 30 people in the class. And that in itself concerned me. I wasn't quite sure how 30 people fit in the pool. I couldn't remember how big the pool was. Um, But it turned out that wasn't my biggest problem. When I got there, they only have one change room open for everyone, male or female. And all of those 30 people had to get changed in that one tiny change room. And then the door is locked. So you cannot go to the pool until about one minute before the class. So 30 people are stuck in the change room waiting to go and disperse themselves out into the pool area. Hmm. I found that very uncomfortable. And now, Fightback's Knockout Call of the Week. There were a lot of great calls this week, but the winner of the Fightback Knockout Call of the Week comes from David in Toronto, who phoned with his concerns and questions about the health care backlog associated with the pandemic. The government may have saved a lot of money on treatments for, you know, whether it be cataracts, knee surgeries, heart, etc., etc. They got their money from the federal government. So is the provincial government just reinvesting the saved funds or are they adding more to it? Um, also, what is the OMA's position? Are they going to triage certain things such as heart conditions, cancer, um, ophthalmology, the same way that was done with the, um, the COVID patients? How are they going to go and, and clear up the backlog? That does it for today's Best of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. If you'd like to qualify for the Fight Back Knockout Call of the Week, phone us noon to one weekdays. Or if you have a comment, email us at fightback at zoomer.ca, follow us on Twitter at Fightback Libby, and call our Fightback voicemail anytime at 416-367-9636. I'm Jane Brown. Join me again at the same time tomorrow when we'll round up the rest of the best of Fight Back. The best of Fight Back is produced by Jane Brown, Justin Eacock, and Zeev Hadi, with technical production by Kelly Robotham. Executive producer, Moses Neimer. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads. Idea City on the air and The Garden Show.